Welcome everyone. Oh, you can say hello for the first time. Oh, that is great. Welcome to you watching from wherever you're watching, uh, at whatever time you're watching, or if you're listening to this on the podcast. Today is our first service where we are worshipping together, being, uh, being able to uh, see one another as a congregation, and that's absolutely fantastic. We're out here in Baldwin Swamp, which is a nature park in Bundaberg, and it's just absolutely uh, a beautiful setting and uh, great to be together. So I'm coming through somewhere fairly loudly. <laughs> Vanessa. Just so that you know, um, for all the people who are here watching live, this is what usually happens on a Sunday. It's quite a, it's quite a setup. In order to make the live stream come into your living rooms, onto your phones, onto your iPads, uh, it's this sort of setup that happens. Um, there's a team who usually does it. Elise has uh, always been part of it. Ray, sometimes Carlton, and, uh, and it happens. And I think actually they can have a round of applause because they do an amazing job. <clears throat> Uh, if you have got your phones with you and you are watching or you do want to engage, feel free to do that. Click the like buttons, make comments. For you at home watching, uh, please do the same. Uh, engage with us. That's part of the reason why we have a live stream. We love to get the engagement. We love to have the comments. Despite what Elise says, it makes me feel good if I get a smiley face when I make a joke. That works well. So feel free to do that. Shall we open with a word of prayer? Almighty God, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you in this wonderful setting. We thank you for the gift of each other, for being able to see one another face to face. We thank you, Lord, for the way in uh, which our state has moved through this pandemic. And we pray for those who have not been so fortunate, thinking particularly of Victoria uh, in our own country and other countries, Lord, where, where they have struggled. Uh, with the coronavirus more than what we have. We pray, Lord, for doctors and nurses and ask for your continued uh, strengthening of them and for your wisdom in guiding the teams that are working on a vaccine. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity uh, to acknowledge you as Lord and Saviour, to acknowledge you as the King of Kings and as our Lord. We thank you, Jesus Christ, for the way in which you have journeyed through every moment of this year with us. You have known the difficulties we faced, the loneliness that it has brought, the uh, hardships and adaptations that we've had to have. But in all of those things, we have been able to rely on your strength and to know the peace of your Holy Spirit resting upon us. And so be with us now this morning, we pray. May what is spoken in this service resonate with each of us, Speak to each of us and touch us in a way that is relevant to us. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. And the peace of the Lord be with you, friends. Oh, 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 music to my ears. Usually it's dead quiet at that stage. Um, our reading this morning, uh, just a couple of notices, friends. There was an offertory box if you'd wanted to uh, put in any offering in the uh, offering there on your way in or on your way out. Um, you're welcome to do that. Any other notices that I need to mention in terms of COVID? 
all of the policies are adhered to. If anybody asks, uh, we're all good. So, any questions, uh, ask Vanessa. She has all the answers. Our reading this morning comes from Philippians chapter 1, reading from verse 12 to 30. If you've got your Bibles with you, follow with me, because throughout the study we're going to be journeying through the whole letter uh, to the Philippians. So last week we ended off at verse 11, we're picking it up at verse 12, and we're going through to verse 30. Philippians chapter 1 from 12 to 30. Paul is writing and says to them, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that, it'll in no, that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Jesus Christ will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I, have, I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, as we worship, we acknowledge that part of our worship is expressing our love for you in the gifts that we give. And whether those have been 
deposited directly, brought into the office, put in electronic banking or through the offering box here at, uh, at the park today. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to bless you with those gifts and pray that you may use them to continue to grow the work of our church in this community and reach people for you. We pray, Lord, for those who we know are in need of our prayers, loved ones, friends, people who are struggling with relationship issues, financial issues, health issues, people who face stressful things happening in this week, and ourselves. Whatever weighs heavily on our heart, we lift our prayers to you, thanking you that you're a God who cares, a God who listens, and a God who knows. And so, Jesus Christ, we pray that your Holy Spirit may speak to us now in this message, that whatever is said may be relevant to us, may make sense to us, and that we would know beyond any shadow of a doubt that we have met with and heard from you this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. So COVID has wreaked havoc on our way of life. It has, I think, forever changed the way we interact and many thousands across the globe have, uh, have suffered, many have lost loved ones, many have died. And I am in no way making light of the pain of that loss and that suffering. But one of the unexpected consequences of COVID, um, which has been on the rise, has been the verification, the affirmation, and the proliferation of the man flu. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say man flu? Do you? If you're a woman, I think you know what man flu is. And if you're a man, it's just flu. If you are unfamiliar with the term, this is a real medical condition. It is a real, I've had it myself. <laughs> it's a medical condition in which men will experience flu-like symptoms and they will report, exaggerate, amplify, overstate the severity of the symptoms in order to garner as much sympathy as they can from women in the nearby vicinity. Women may suffer the very same illness with the very same symptoms, but it will be called for them a common cold, and they will operate as if nothing is wrong. A man, on the other hand, will be trying to book himself in for pneumonia or something similar. And this is where COVID has not helped. Because before COVID, women everywhere were able to push their husbands a little bit. They were able to tell them lies like, once you get up, you will feel better. Or once you're at work, you will be okay. But with COVID, with COVID, even the slightest little sniffle has meant immediate quarantine. COVID tests, attention from doctors, 48 hours in bed. It's meant the unbroken demand for sympathy of men everywhere has been validated by chief health officers in all of the states. And men's exaggerations are finally valid. 
Man flu, it's real. <laughs> One man, though, who was not susceptible to this in any way. One man who was never prone to exaggeration. One man who never garnered any sympathy for himself was the Apostle Paul. If there was ever a case for an exception to that rule, this is it. Because Paul didn't talk up his, talk up his illnesses. Or to be more accurate, he never spoke about his injuries or his sufferings. In fact, he very often downplayed them, wanting the focus not to be on him, but rather to be on the message and on the ministry. I actually remember studying a timeline of Paul's life once, and I was quite surprised that he preached one of his, his major sermons before the Senate on the very same day that he had suffered uh, and been quite brutally beaten uh, in that morning. But he took care to make sure that all of his bruises were covered up, everything was uh, you know, covered so that there was no hint of his pain or his anguish because the focus was not supposed to be on him. It was supposed to be on the message of Jesus Christ. The letter to the Philippians is no different. We picked up from last week uh, in verse 12 of chapter 1, where after the greeting, Paul casually says to the Philippians, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. This is quite an understatement of his suffering. Because what he's referring to when he says, what has happened, this is what he means. He was facing false accusation and a whole lot of mob violence. He was stripped and stretched out to be tortured. He was then put in the dock where he was illegally assaulted. He faced an assassination plot and ended up in the hands of a tyrant. He was shipwrecked on his way to Rome and was now confined into prison, uncertain about whether or when he would be executed. And yet in writing this letter, almost casually, he quite simply says, lumping all of that stuff together, what has happened to me? What has happened to me? In fact, as we read this passage, we notice that not only does Paul understate his suffering, but he actually rejoices in it. Because through the suffering, he feels his supreme calling is being fulfilled. And that calling can be summed up in three little words. Advancing the gospel. It was, his whole life was about the task of bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus into the world. And as we continue to study this passage, uh, this uh, letter of Philippians, we will see that it's not just the task of Paul, but for each one of us, advancing the gospel. In case you missed last week's service, please catch it up on YouTube or one of the, the podcast channels. But we began a new series in which we are studying the book of Philippians, or more importantly, or more correctly, the letter uh, to the Philippians. It's one of the most beautiful parts of the whole of Scripture. And last week we saw that this is actually a letter of encouragement where we find timeless words to uh, describe the depth of God's love for us, to uncover the beauty and the privilege of His purpose for us. We saw that what is revealed just in the beginning verses of this letter is, is God's heart's desire for you to know just how special you are. And His promise 
that he is faithful in bringing about the good work he is doing in you. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it on to completion. It's a reminder that our lives are are to be filled with joy, overflowing from this connectedness with Christ, the, the faithful working of his spirit in our lives. This week, we pick up from there and look deeper into that partnership as we move from Philippians being a letter of encouragement to being a letter of purpose. If that purpose is advancing the gospel, if it's about living in such a way that our lives bring the love and presence of Jesus wherever we go, if that purpose is to be like Paul and to minister like Paul, where we're not governed by our own desires or an overarching God, an overarching desire to do what what we think is right, then we acknowledge that that purpose is to be who God created us to be and to do what God has created us to do. And then the letter to the Philippians brings about three very clear things uh, which define that purpose. And the first is this, that we always need to be looking for gospel possibilities. If our purpose is to be advancing the gospel, we need to be looking for possibilities for that to do that, potential places where that can happen. We always look for moments and gaps where God may be wanting to use us to bring about uh, a sense of his love into the hearts and lives of people who do not know him. In verse 13, Paul says, It has become clear throughout the whole palace God and to everyone else, that I am in chains for Christ. Now just to tell you about the palace guard. The palace guard was between 10,000 and 16,000 men. So when he says the palace guard, it's not just a group of a little squad of eight soldiers who rotate themselves day and night. Between 10 and 16,000 men, elite troops, troops who were Uh, the best of the best soldiers. They were bigger and stronger and paid more. And it was to these men that Paul would have been chained for hours at a time. It was these men who were tasked with the idea, uh, with the task, sorry, with the the job of watching over him in prison or, or guarding him under house arrest. And if Paul is writing and saying that his purpose has become clear to the whole palace guard, I can well imagine that there wasn't a single minute that he, uh, he wouldn't have missed an opportunity to be speaking about the love of Jesus to these people who were quite literally chained to him. I wonder if they thought to themselves, who's chained to who? I can imagine that would have been a question I would have asked. They would have drawn straws to see who's going to get the duty of being chained to the minister. Because you know you're in for an eight-hour lecture on the love of Jesus Christ. My own family don't even want to be chained to me for eight hours. It must have been tiring. But hour after hour, and to person after person, he advances the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. One thing you have to admire and hopefully be inspired by is that he never stood by and said, oh well, I can't really do anything at this moment. I've been arrested. I'm locked up. What can I do? This situation isn't ideal. I'll just have to wait until I get out or things fall into my favor. Never did that. He made the most of every single opportunity 
speaking to everyone who is able to, and when he couldn't speak to them, writing letters to churches like the Philippians. I think we can sometimes be guilty of waiting for the perfect moment, waiting for an exact opportunity when, when we have time, or when we have energy, or when we feel it's the right moment. But if anything, the letter to the Philippians shows us that possibilities exist all of the time. I want you to quote. This is an amazing quote. And so it's beautiful in its simplicity, but profound in its impact. It said, the smallest action is better than the greatest intention. The smallest action is better than the greatest intention. So if you know somebody who's been ill or, or in hospital and you think to yourself, you know what, I'm going to go and, and uh, I'll make them a meal and I will uh, clean their house for them and I'll do all these one. I really want to look after that person. But you actually never get around to it. Well, the, even if you had made a phone call, they would have been better than the greatest intention. Smallest gesture is better than the greatest intention. And I think we can sometimes end up in that place when it comes to the idea of spreading something of the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to reach out to people. We want people to know that God loves them. Even as a church, we can, we can develop grand plans of, of mission and outreach with lofty goals and ideals. But at the end of the day, the smallest gesture of serving a meal at Andy's place or making a phone call or, or offering a skill or, or singing a song is better than the greatest intention. There are possibilities everywhere. And if our purpose is to advance the gospel, we need to be looking for them. I, I might have told you this story before, and if I have, forgive me, um, I try not to use my children in an illustration too much, but I can't help it in this one because it's just such a good illustration of, of, of what I'm talking about in terms of the possibilities. But I was in the supermarket one day with all three of the children, and they were, they were very small. They were, they were young. They were just out of the, just too big to sit in the trolley. So they were running around in front of me. I was trying to, to keep track of all of them. They were kind of at that age where they like to help you by getting stuff off the shelf and you have to take it and then put it back again because they got the, the wrong thing. And, and uh, so it was, it was becoming quite a frantic shop. I had bitten off a little more than I could chew with all three and uh, just myself. I had one kid running ahead slightly, one lagging behind, and I was trying to keep them all under this, this watchful and protective eye of dad. So there I was in the shop, the three of them, and we rounded the end of the one aisle, coming up to the next, and we almost bump into this uh, elderly gentleman who looked to be in the most foul mood ever. He really, his face was in a scowl, like his lips were turned up in almost like in, in aggression, like he didn't only disapprove of children in the shop, it was like he disapproved of children in general. Like, he wished there wasn't any of them around. He seemed mad and angry at the same time. And just the look of him was, was unpleasant and actually made me kind of a little bit scared. And I thought, I thought to myself, whoa, what has gone wrong in your day, mate? What has happened to you? I'm going to get these kids and I'm going to give you a real wide berth in this aisle. I don't want to be anywhere near you. You frighten me. 
And so we moved away, went, gave him a wide berth and carried on in our way. I was about halfway down the aisle when I suddenly realized that I was one child short. And in my horror, I looked down to see Michael running off towards this old man. And uh, it was almost like the whole thing happened in slow motion for me. There's like a little bit of panic because, because this guy looked so mad and angry that I actually didn't know what response he would get. I even thought he could possibly get a, get a whack with the back of the hand. I didn't know what Mike was going to say to him. I, um, but I knew whatever it was going to be, it wasn't going to go down well. I couldn't get there fast enough. And to my horror, Michael got to him way before I did and threw open his arms and hugged this elderly gentleman's legs. Big hug. I was a little bit mortified by what was going on. I didn't know what was going to happen next. And by this stage, the girls who were way quicker than me uh, with the trolley had followed Mike's cue and were giving him a hug as well. <laughs> and as I got there, ready to grab my kids away, and rescue them from this monster. Maybe try and smooth things over and, and, and hope we get out without any, anything worse than a scolding. I looked up at his face and there were just tears. Tears running down his cheeks. And he looked at me through the tears. This is all he said. The whole extent of the interaction was just this. He said, do you know how long it has been since a child hugged me? And then he said, I miss my family so much. That was it. I never actually said anything to him. I stood there like a bit of a moron in the yogurt aisle, looking at this odd situation with my three children hugging an elderly person who was busy weeping almost uncontrollably. And I didn't know what actually had happened there. And I said to Michael as we moved away, I said, why did you do that? You know, we had taught them stranger danger and all of those things. Why did you do that? And he said, I just saw that man's face, Dad, and I thought he needed a hug. That was it. So young. I saw his face and I thought he needed a hug. And I thought to myself, you know what? I saw that too. But I actually gave him a wide berth. He went and hugged him. I gave him a berth instead of maybe just saying, are you okay? Are you alright? Now I'm not saying you've got to let your kids run off and hug strangers. Absolutely not. Like I said, we taught our kids all the responsible stuff. But I am saying that there are possibilities for sharing God's love all over the place. All over the place. And in this particular case, it took the eyes of a child to remind an adult of the purpose that God has for them. In this chapter of Philippians, if it tells us anything, it's that almost in these throwaway lines of Paul, He's always looking for, always seeking, always making use of every single opportunity, of every possibility to spread God's love. Secondly, we are reminded of our priority. From verses 19 to 26, if you're following, you can have a look at them. 
Paul says something that comes across quite strange. He says he's not worried about death so long as Christ is honored. In fact, he actually says to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he goes even further and says, I desire to be with Christ, which is better by far. And at this stage, you think this, this sounds really, it almost sounds suicidal. But you have to remember the situation that he's in. He's sitting on death row. He knows that death is coming soon. And he knows that until then, he's stuck in the prison. He's stuck under house arrest. He's stuck chained to these, uh, to these prison guards. And so it makes sense for him to say, well, I would prefer death come quicker rather than what I'm in now. At least I'll then be with Christ. But he goes on to say that he desires to go on living for the sake and for the joy of helping the Philippians progress in their faith. It's quite something that he would uh, continue to endure the hardship for the sake of sharing the love of Christ with other people. A desire to go on living. We live in such a consumerist society and we can often fall into the trap of doing things that, that only have something in it for me. What's in it for me? Is a very popular line. What's in it for me? It's a question that gets asked aloud and sometimes silently. Paul's letter reminds us that the motivation, the priority in this life is not what's in it for me. It's not what can I get out of it. It's not about what benefits me. But it's about you. It's about God. It's about His purposes. It's about making His love known. I think it was Mac Madonna. I nearly said McDonald's. Shows you way too many McDonald's meals. I think it was Madonna who said uh, once that she wouldn't be happy until she was more famous than God. And Paul would say to her, actually, you won't be happy until you just know God, until you're making him known. So we get reminded in this letter about the priority, what our lives are about. And then lastly, we get given the pattern by which to live. Verse 27 says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The word used for conduct actually means live as citizens. Paul's using this image of citizenship because the Philippians were citizens of Rome. They um, followed Roman customs, they wore Roman clothes, they were a Roman colony and they were very proud of that. And Paul says, you know what it is to be citizens living one way in a different place. Well, be citizens of the kingdom of Christ. Be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Be proud to live the way Jesus wants you to live. Philippians is a wonderful letter. It's a letter of encouragement. It's a letter of purpose. And it reminds us of looking for the possibilities that share the love of Christ. The priority of living out God's purpose in our lives and the pattern that we have to follow as being citizens of the kingdom of heaven. But living here. Paul was in chains. We live in freedom. We live in joy. We live in the love and the amazing grace of God. And it's our purpose to share that. And may God strengthen us in His Holy Spirit as we seek to be faithful to that call. Amen.
We're going to sing together the song, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and those whom we love this day and forevermore. Amen.